All right, I think that's enough test runs. You ready to go now? Yeah, that's fine. All right. So, do you remember where we left off? Um, kind of. <laughs> uh, I know we were talking about how he became like the head dude of like the council of people or whatever. Definitely, no, it's not called that. I just can't remember what it's called. The Brittany. Yeah, the Brittany. Oh, and I looked up the pronunciation. That's actually how you say it too. How do you say it again? Brittany. 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 Or. Like pr- or- I guess it would be Pritony. Pritony or Pritony? Yeah, Pritony, I think. You know, it kind of sounds a little, <laughs> uh, like, I don't know if I can say this because of everything that's going on. What? Or no, wait. Huh? It sounds a little, wait, who, where was, where was, um, where was Chernobyl at? It's in Ukraine. Okay. I don't, well, I don't know if I can... It sounds like, you know, the show Chernobyl that HBO did? Uh Uh-huh. It sounds like, I don't know, what is their language over there? Is it Ukrainian? Uh, At that time, they would have been speaking Russian, pretty sure. Okay, well, it sounds like a Russian word that they would use in that that show, Chernobyl. Don't you think? Yeah. Like how they said, like, Pripyat and stuff like that? That's what it makes me think of. Oh, like, uh, Pripyat? Yeah, Pripyat. Yeah, Yeah. you say it well. You say it really well. Yeah, because it's in a video game. (laughs) Oh. I learned about that when I was about maybe 12, playing uh, Modern Warfare for the first time. Oh, okay. Well, you know me. Because the famous, well, now it's famous, the sniper mission going through the Fallout City. Of Pripyat. Oh, okay. I have no <laughs> idea what that is, but I know because you didn't play it. <laughs> yeah, but you know me. I love the Chernobyl story, so like I love that mini series that they did. So yeah, that me... was uh, that was a big thing in the news this week because the uh, actually no, the Russians seized the uh, seized Chernobyl on the first day of the invasion. No way. Well, I it's, didn't it's know like that. right on the border of like Ukraine and Belarus. Oh, really? And so like the Russians that were invading from Belarus like took it. Within, like, the first day. But they're not, like, they're there, right? Because it's still highly radioactive. Uh, no, they're there, there. Oh, those poor soldiers. That's, like, not good. Like, Well, the higher, higher command in Moscow, I don't think, cares too much. <laughs> well, I mean, no one should really be there anyway. Like, it's weird, though, because, like, I know you can go there. Like, because they have the dome. Well, the facility is still, you know, yeah, the dome. The dome's still there. The facility, yeah. the facility itself is still encased and everything, but, I mean. But it's still radioactive. The area is still, I mean, there are people who live there, though. Yeah. Like, there's this one dude who owns, like, a cafe there, like a coffee shop. And then there's this one dude who takes in all of, like, the stray animals who still, like, live in the area. The highly radiated animals. <laughs> yeah, that probably have some kind of mutations or something they probably do it wouldn't shock me i bet there's all kinds of crap over there that's like just like out of this world and i think there was some kind of special that came out years ago that was like all about the wolves that lived in the forest around uh chernobyl oh really yeah, and mutations they had and uh what they were like oh. I, I i never saw it i just i just heard about it that's really cool i bet there's like I bet there's just, like, wild, like, like, just not even, like, animals, just in terms of plants. Like, I wonder how, like, the plants have adapted to live there. Because if you think about it, when it first happened, pretty much everything, like, just died. Like, in the immediate area. 
everything just died. But like there's there's it's oh, wherever like the radiation wherever the radiation cloud went, yeah. Yeah, but like if you look at pictures, just of like the abandoned town that all the people who worked at Chernobyl lived in, mm-hmm. it's like thriving. Like the land is just taking back what was there. Well, the radiation didn't go everywhere equally, but like anything that fell under that radiation cloud where all the radiation was concentrated, mm-hmm. all of that died. Everything else kind of like it's not that it didn't get irradiated, but not so much so that it would kill it immediately. Yeah, I guess so. But I don't know. It would be cool to... I I think it'd be cool to go and like check it out. I, mean, I would still be very cautious, though, just because of I mean, you radiation. can. It's just like when you go out there, depending on where... You, you can only go where... Basically where they say you can go. Yeah. You can't... There dis- are people... You can't disturb the soil. You know people be doing that. I'm sure. There are people who uh, have, like, these secret tours, though, that they go, like, off trail. Yeah. And, and of course, they have, like, those little tracker things that tell you how, like, bad the radiation is. And But I don't know. Like, people who professionally do that, who are, like, tour guides there, they get exposed, like, on a daily. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine that being healthy. Oh, I hope the... They get good money for their... Yeah, right. I bet they don't. I don't know. If anything, their bosses should pay for their health care. They probably have to, like, go away to some country outside of, like, all the radiation, get better, and then just to go back to get revamped with some radioactiveness, and then... Oh, I don't know anything about the health care system in Ukraine or Belarus. Yeah, I don't either. Which I can... I'm I'm pretty confident right now it's probably pretty shitty, because they got... Well, a lot of stuff going on right now. <laughs> well, they're in a war, so yeah. 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 I can't. I can't even imagine what what's going on or how the people over there feel. It's so sad. I mean, I watched like all the videos and stuff, and like, I'm like, if you want to know what World War Three would look like, that's pretty much what it would look like. <laughs> even though it's on such a small scale, still. No, I'm just talking about like, the combat and stuff like oh, that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's not good times over there right now. No, it's like definitely. it's gone on for almost two weeks now. Yeah, I think which so. is the longest war Russia's had since Chechnya in two thousand two thousand one. Yeah, and when they invaded Georgia in two thousand eight, that only lasted for like five days. Mm-hmm. Well, active combat lasts for five days. Technically, the Russians are still there occupying parts of Georgia. Hmm. So, well, our heart and prayers go out to those people over there. Yeah. Anyway, happier note. It's been <laughs> like what? It's been like what? Two and a half, three weeks since we talked about Socrates, right? I think it's been two weeks. I feel like two and a half at least. I can't remember. I want to say it's been two weeks. Okay, so about two weeks. Since that, we that's, that was the that was the plan. Yeah, yeah. So it's been yeah. about two weeks since we talked about Socrates yeah. and. We talked about his life and uh, how he got started being a soldier. What are they called again? The actual term? Hoplites. Yeah, he became hoplite. He was mm-hmm. good at being hoplite. He was very good at being a hoplite. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't speak specifically to what he could or couldn't do on the battlefield, but by all accounts, he was very yeah. good at what he did. And, and then after that... It would be interesting to know what kind of body count he had. Yeah, it would be really cool. You know, be really, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about this, it would be really cool if, if like, HBO or, like, 
some big TV show who does like the documentary. I'm just saying HBO because I love the HBO documentaries, like the mini series. Most that they of the do. time they're good, yeah. They're pretty. They're pretty damn good, and I feel like it'd be really cool. Like I don't think anyone's gone that far back before. No. Like to Socrates and Aristotle and all that crap. Like I think it'd be so cool if they did. Like, think about it. It would be really cool because you would have to travel. You would have to travel through his life into the the hoplite life and see. Like, you know, I think that would be really cool. I think if they did that, I don't think Socrates would be a central character. No, but he could be shown. Oh, he'd definitely be in it. Yeah. He would like, definitely be in it. It, would, it, it, it wouldn't have to character. be, like, Socrates, like, being the main character. But it would be cool just to, like, like, I don't know, for them to find, like, some kind of story to tell. And, like, he can make, like, an appearance or, like, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Because, like, he himself never wrote his stuff down, right? You no. told me that. He himself never wrote stuff down. But his, like, his, like, students, if you will. Oh, a good one, dude. Probably be uh, Xenophon's... Uh... The Xenophon's Anabasis, the yeah, the Persian expedition. Yeah, that would be cool. The the ten thousand Greek mercenaries who went to Persia to go fight in their civil war yep. and the side they were fighting on lost. So, and the Persian king who won said, "Like I'm not going to kill you, but get out of my territory." <laughs> <laughs> Reasonable. <laughs> and but he didn't really help them get out of territory. He just told them to leave. And the second they entered out of like what was like the royal control mm-hmm. they were at the mercy of whoever they came across oh, gosh. and sometimes they were merciful sometimes they were not <laughs> that would be you know what we should like uh make a pitch to hbo like i'm for real or like netflix or something well no i feel like netflix wouldn't do that well with it and actually but... that while xenophon was off involved in all of that that was well while he was off doing that that was when socrates trial was and there you go. And that's why he wasn't there. There you go. Yeah. It would be really cool, right? Mm-hmm. That would be really awesome. Anyways, we talked about him and how he was really good at being a soldier. And then once he retired, he didn't get into politics, right? He told me he wasn't really into politics. He just wanted to, like, teach. Not teach, but he wanted to find out the true meaning of the word. Um, well... The basis of Socrates' philosophy is to basically study humanity and mm-hmm. help humanity reach excellence. Yeah. In order to do that, he had to find like the roots of all these different terms, like like what is piety, what is love, what is virtue, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Like to really understand them and then teach those people so that everyone can understand and know what these things are and adhere to them and achieve excellence that was yeah. his that was his goal in mm-hmm. the end right like that was what he i mean plato and xenophon and anyone anyone else who writes about him well mostly say like that was his intention like he he didn't care he didn't care for a whole lot of things but one thing he definitely cared about was the uh was his fellow man mm-hmm. did he always you think Cared about his fellow man, or do you think that was something he I'm, I'm he not came sure. across after he be like retired from being a soldier? I'm, I'm tempted to say yes, but I don't know what I don't know what he was like before he was a hoplite. There's or, no record of him before he was a hoplite. Uh, I mean, we know general. We have a general idea of when he was born. Yeah, but to my understanding, not a whole lot. Well, because you said people became a hoplite like when they would become like 
an adult, right, when in their came, society. When they came of age, yeah. Which was when at that point? I forget. Didn't you tell me? I mean, me? they'd be a teenager by today's standards, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and then you told me they would, they would go for, like, what, until they were, like, 40 or something like that, right? Like, they were in it for, like, the long haul. Not until, like, their 50s. As long as they were capable of holding a spear and a shield. Right, and yeah. In line, they were... They could be soldiers. Right. So, yeah. So then he, so, then he, I guess, became, like, the leader of the, say it again? Well, he was elected by his tribe to be there, be one, be either He was a representative, right? Be one of the representatives or their, or the representative. Again, I don't know which tribe he was a part of. Yeah. In Athens. But he was elected to be a representative, so he was on the Council of 500. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, for a brief period of time, he became the president of that council, mm-hmm. the Prytony. What did it mean to be the leader of that group? Like, what, like, what kind of like authority, if any, did they have? You're, you're just kind of like, you're just kind of like the ringleader. You're, you're like, you, you keep everything in order. So is it like, like you make sure like all everything that needs to be observed is observed, like all the uh, protocols and everything. So no actual power. They're just kind of like the teacher who's in charge of the classroom. Kind of. It's kind of like the the closest thing you could probably compare it to is is kind of like I said, the Speaker of the House. Yeah. Not really really the uh, President of the Senate, I would say. Mm -hmm. Because the President of the Senate, the Vice President, does have some powers that they can exercise. Like Mm -hmm. uh, if there's a tie, if, if there's a tie in the voting, then the... That vice, person can break it, right? Then the vice president can vote and break the tie. Yeah. I don't think the price need could do that. I, don't, I unfortunately don't know too, too much mm-hmm. uh, the, of, that, of those functions. Yeah. But basically just make sure the protocols were okay. observed and everybody whose who uh, time it was to be heard was heard and things of that nature. Okay. And he did that, do you know for how long he did that for? Not... It, wasn't very long. Yeah. They had, like, terms, right? You could only be that yeah. person for so long. Kind of like how the president could only be the president for so long yeah. before, like, a re-election. I mean, it was probably... I wouldn't say more than six months or a year. Oh, wow. Very short period of time. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it lasted. Well, uh, maybe a year. Again, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not... Yeah, yeah. I was I'm just not curious on the details of uh, theme politics. I, I do. There's a book that I read from my research paper that I can only read part of it, partly because of the time, partly because I was like specifically looking at Socrates' trial, and I, I read the part specific to that. But it is uh, actually see if I can find the let's find the author real quick in the uh, book title. Uh, Nancy Evans, Civic Rights, Democracy and Religion in Ancient Athens. Did you yeah. see it's a good read? Uh, the part of it I read I enjoyed. I need to, and I want to read the rest of it, so I need to get that at some point. Okay, so he became the leader of that, and then I don't, I don't honestly, like, I don't remember if we talked about what he did after that. I don't think we got to that. Yeah, okay. When he served his time, and, uh, but the thing that I brought up, I brought up that for a reason was it was, he was the Pritini during... Uh, the battle of damn why am I forgetting this name I know this name 
Arjunise. Jesus. So the Battle of Arjunise? Yeah, Battle of Arjunise in Aegean, which the Athenians won, but remember the generals didn't. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, didn't they, like, all die or something like that? No, the generals failed to do something after the battle. Do you remember what it was? They didn't bring back the the dead or the survivors. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't bring... Yeah, so, like, didn't they have to go pick them up or no? Like, what happened? No, they they didn't. Like, there was a storm. Right, there was a storm that took all the bodies away, mostly, right? Well, it was a storm that kind of, like, took the bodies away, but also, like, took the fleet away from the battle area. Uh Uh-huh. And kind of just carried them off into the... uh, into the open sea. Right. So there really wasn't a chance. There wasn't even really a chance for them. Not really. To I get mean, could, the dead back. Yeah. Not really. And then Socrates heard the testimony, heard the evidence. And even though it was unanimous that these generals were guilty. Oh, yeah. He said that they weren't guilty. Yeah. He decided that they weren't. He was using kind of like more like of a logical like, okay, I understand what happened. You're not 100% accountable for a storm coming. Like, what were they supposed to do about that? Like, throw someone overboard to like appease one of their gods or something? Like, No, human. Well, I don't want to say in ancient Greece, human sacrifice was off the table. I feel like that was very much on the table. I feel like in some extreme cases it was, but it wasn't something they did very often. And it was frowned, it was, at least in Athens and Sparta for the most part. I really wonder. It was frowned upon. I really wonder what, like, the people who, the people who voted them guilty, I really want to know, like, what their take was on it. Like, were they like, oh, it doesn't matter, there was a storm, you should have known better anyway, and like attempted... Basically, that's... From, from what I've read, basically that was about it. That was it? Basically, they were just it like, was regardless like, of it, the storm, it, you should have been able to do it? Was it? Your, it was your duty as Athenian citizens to collect the dead from the field of battle. You know, you know, <laughs> I, you know what, I bet there was some stuff going on behind the scenes. Like, I bet someone... On the council was like, I hate that guy. We're going to get him out real quick by lying and saying he, no matter if there was a storm or not, he needs to, he needs to go. Cause like, he didn't like him or something. How much you want to bet there was something like that going on? Oh, I almost guarantee you that was part, that was part of it. Right. I mean like in any movie or show you watch, that's always the case. They try to play it off like. Oh, it was your, like, duty. But, like, in reality, they're all going, like, yeah, like we these, just don't like you. If these generals were suddenly out of the way, that freed up a bunch of positions for people to try to weasel themselves right. or their relatives into positions of power. Right, I exactly. Get, and that actually plays into... What, what happens next? Not necessarily what happens next, but what we'll get into before the end of uh, Socrates' life. Okay, so, so Socrates actually stood up for these guys. Yeah. He was outvoted, though, right? Well, it was a unanimous vote. Yeah. It went to the Pratini. He vetoed it. And then it went back to the council, and the council vetoed his veto. Right. So they were all found guilty anyways. I think all but one of them yeah. uh, were executed. Right. Well, see, yeah, I told you they died. <laughs> yeah. So what happens after that? Is that the end of well, his pre- term? Well, that was like the notable thing that happened during his term. Okay. 
And uh, after that, we're coming to the close of the second half of the Peloponnesian War. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, correction from last time. Uh, remember I said the Peloponnesian War ended and they almost immediately started back up again? Yeah. Okay, the peace period lasted about six years. So those peace for about six years and mm-hmm. then before the fight started again. So why why did it start back up again? What was uh, the... Do you know? It was another... Uh, uh, it was just another uh, dispute between the Athenians and the uh, Peloponnese. Specifically the Spart... Uh, I can't remember. These two groups of people really just did not like each other. They didn't get along. Like their philosophies on the one how to run a polis, how to run the city state was very different. And their priorities mm-hmm. were very different. Well, I mean I feel like I feel like you can have two country like I don't understand like did they did they just like have to work closely? with each other and that's where all these conflicts came to like they a had fight? for brief, like, they had for brief moments historically like when the persians invaded yeah they worked together with them but otherwise historically most of the time they were enemies like sparta made itself the dominant power on the peloponnese and then mm-hmm. athens made itself the dominant power on mainland greece and attica and it was mm-hmm. like you have two dominant powers yeah and they both want to be dominant over the same region. Right. So they're going to butt so heads eventually. Yeah, they're not going to be and friends about it. No. <laughs> gotcha. Like, they'll tolerate each other for a time, but if an opportunity appears where they one can get the upper hand... They will. They'll yeah. go for it, yeah. Okay. I mean, that sounds that sounds about on par with just, like, history in general, I feel. Yeah, that's a lot of conflicts come out of similar situations. Yeah. Especially, like, a, well, like major conflicts, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so what happens after? So you're set. You're saying that Socrates was still in his. He was still like the leader, dude. When this, when the war came to an end, that war came to an end. No, that he was he was prize to me for a very brief period of time. The war went on, and uh, towards the end of the war, I think we went over this very brief, a little bit at the end. Uh, there was a coup in four eleven. Uh, an aristocratic coup. I think it was the coup of the 400. It was 400 aristocrats who seized power from the Democrats in Athens. Sounds familiar. Yeah. But they lasted about six months. It wasn't a very successful coup. What were they... They were just trying to take back power or something? That's they were trying to seize right? power for the aristocracy. Like, they felt it was uh, it was too much in the hands of the people, the common Athenian citizen, mm-hmm. and it needed to be in the hands of the aristocracy gotcha and one of the things like the uh the war by that time was starting to go pretty badly for athens Mm -hmm. especially this is after the sicilian expedition which we talked about last time too remember that when when the say i do remember that when the sicilians like told the athenians hey we have all this money if you come over here and overthrow syracuse I don't remember that don't, at all. You don't remember that at all? No. I know we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was late. It was late at night. And so Athens sent over this uh, a pretty good-sized fleet and a good-sized army. And the uh, turns out the Sicilians did not have the money that they said they had. Mm-hmm. And the Athenians were not prepared for the campaign that they had to fight to capture Syracuse. They failed at that miserably. And Syracuse was reinforced by Spartan mercenaries and... 
all almost all the Athenians were captured or killed. Jeez. Yeah. So by this point, the war was going pretty badly, and everybody was putting blame here and there. And these 400 aristocrats put blame on the democracy for why the war was going so bad. Mm. So they tried to seize power and... It didn't go cor- so well. And correct it. <laughs> yeah, well... But like I said, they only lasted about six months. They, well, they didn't leave. They didn't last a full year, at least. Jeez. So then comes the fateful year of 404. And the Spartan, mil- Spartan army marches on Athens itself. And the Athenians have to capitulate. They can't, they can't fight anymore. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, when the Spartans marched into Attica, they withdrew into the city of Athens itself, which thousands of people living in what is really still a pretty small area. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's one thing that happens if you have a bunch of people living in a small area and, and no proper sanitation? I mean, usually disease. Yeah. So what was it? Uh, it was some kind of what it was specifically is unclear I mean some scholars have a few ideas like typhus or typhoid or something of that nature mm-hmm. but basically a plague got into Athens and wiped out a considerable number of the population they were like nasty back then like this is so random yeah. but like they were not hygienic back then not really at all I mean Greeks I'm pretty sure the Greeks did have public baths like the Romans did. Yeah. But even then, it's still like... I mean, even... Like, but, like, it, you think you think about it, and you're thinking, like, okay, polo bags, not too bad, not too bad, right? Like, people can go take, like, a bath whenever they want. But, like, also, like, how do you think they were, like, changing that water out? I'm sure it wasn't just, like, a steady stream of, like, water coming in. So someone either had to, like, drain all that water, then clean the area and then fill it back up with water on a like at least weekly basis uh, i can't speak to the engineering or the plumbing no i know i'm just saying like if you think about it like it was already kind of like kind of like dirty and gross like and then you add in this whole like you know fighting aspect and i'm sure it's just terrible yeah it was like thousands of people just like living hanging out. just hanging out in the streets, living in the streets, because yeah. there wasn't enough room for them. Right. But Athens was the last safe place in Attica, away from the Spartans. Right. So at the plague comes through, wipes out a considerable number of the population, and then the Athenians have ba- have no choice but to capitulate. Yeah. And so when they capitulated, the Spartans got rid of the democracy, instituted an oligarchy of thirty respected Athenian aristocrats, nobles, to run Athenian affairs as basically a Spartan puppet. And most of the Democrats, the notable Democrats, fled the city. Where'd they go? Uh, Somewhere west, I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to remember the exact geography, I can't remember. Somewhere west of the city. And during the time that these 30 men are in charge, it's known as the tyranny of the 30. And they were led by a Athenian known as uh, Critias or 
or Critias or however you want to say it. Hmm. But I, I say Critias. What? <laughs> What's that face? I don't know. It just sounds like the Kraken. <laughs> no. <laughs> it does. Oh, sorry. I'm just, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds... Wait, sound, no. Yeah, he, he's known as uh, Critias, and he was an associate. Well, he had been an associate of Socrates at one point. An associate? Yeah. Okay. Like he had gone to Socrates' lectures or spoken with him at, ver- at various times. Okay. And it's talking about the Democrats leaving Athens. Guess who didn't leave Athens during this time? I don't know, Socrates? Yeah, Socrates didn't leave. Good for him. Well, it wasn't good times. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't good times, but he's, he stayed where he wanted to stay. Yeah, but I mean, the the 30 seized power. Well, we're kind of like, they're given power, but then they seized more power, basically got rid of the Athenian constitution, and then hunted down anyone that could possibly be an enemy to their rule. Jeez. I hope Socrates oh, wasn't on that list. Well, had had the had the tyranny of thirty lasted longer, it's a very good chance that he would have. Why? Well, at one point, Critias uh, asked Socrates and a few other uh, well-to-do Athenians mm-hmm. and wants him and wants them to go run an errand for him. That errand is to bring in someone who they've deemed as one of their enemies and like go take them from their home and bring them to the 30 mm-hmm. to be tried, quote-unquote, and then receive their execution. Socrates refused to do it because he didn't agree with anything they were doing at all because he felt they were breaking the law, which they were. Mm-hmm. So Socrates refused to do it. <laughs> so he would have probably been on the hit list just because he didn't want to be a part of the Oh, yeah, definitely. The group, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> But a democratic army is raised out in the Attican countryside, and they march on Athens, defeat the army that Thirty raised, mm-hmm. and seize Athens. And by the time the Spartan reinforcements get to Athens, the the democracy is already back in power. And as far as I'm kind of like, fine, just don't meddle in our affairs. Mm-hmm. And so in four hundred three, the the democracy returns to Athens. And stirring the with the return of the democracy, uh, some oaths were sworn. And this was kind of the idea to like reconcile and just like, okay, all this bad shit happened. The war's over. The oligarchs and the aristocrats have been defeated. The coups have been defeated. Let's try to move forward as a polis. Mm-hmm. And these oaths come from uh, Xenophon's history. So oaths were sworn that there should be an amnesty for all that had happened in the past. And to this day, both parties live together as fellow citizens and the people abide by oaths which they have sworn. Basically, any crime that was committed against the state before 403, you can't be tried. You can't be tried for. Before 403? Before 403. Okay. And notice the wording I used there was crimes against the state. You can still be tried for crimes prior to then by private citizens. 
<laughs> so if a private, private citizen felt like they were offended by somebody, it could even if it happened before 403. Right, they could take them to trial. Yeah. And it, this really comes up in the year 399, where three such trials take place. And that particular procedure was called Isengelia. And it made it possible and sometimes even encouraged private citizens to un uncover and lodge damaging information against anyone suspected of misconduct, subversion, and treason. And you would do this as a private citizen, but you're doing it on the pe you're doing it on the behalf of the state, but you're doing it as a private citizen. Interesting. So it's a nice uh, little loophole in yeah. the odds. Hmm. You think they did that on purpose? Uh, probably not. They, well, I don't know. I would say probably not. I think it just kind of worked. It. That's just how it ended up being. That's just how it ended up being. There's a nice little loophole that people began to notice and those who felt like they had political enemies or even just enemies, enemies they could get rid of them through that. Hmm. And the most and the most common indictment was Asabea which is ancient Greek for impiety, which Athens and most of Greece being religious societies, you would think, well, that's a crime against the state because it's state religion and all that. But it could also be, it could also apply to private citizens because you're not just defending the state, you're defending the other citizens of Athens. Mm -hmm. You see where things get a little tricky there or where things can be exploited. Yeah. <laughs> And the first trial to occur in the year 399 was the trial of Andesiades. And he was an Athenian aristocrat. But in his past, he had also been associated with, if you remember last time we talked about Alcibiades, mm -hmm. the traitor. Yeah. Yeah, he had been associated with Alcibiades at one point and had, had even participated in the defamation of the Herms, if you remember that. When Alcibiades got in it, but he got drunk and they went removed all of the oh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and they went and removed all the phalluses yeah from the herms <laughs> yeah uh, allegedly he was part of that he had at least four accusers and basically they everybody that was involved in all that they they knew like the charges didn't really mean anything mm-hmm well if the charges didn't mean anything why were the charges given? Because he was an aristocrat. Mm. And the last two coups in Athens were done by aristocrats. And so a theory, and this is true to a point, was that the, the new democracy in Athens was very fearful of yet another aristocratic coup to seize power. And Andesides found himself in the, in the crosshairs of the Democrats simply because of his station mm. and past associations. But in the end, he goes before the jury, the Council of 500, pleads his case, and he's found not guilty. And then another trial comes up. This time it's against a common citizen called Nicomachus. Where did they come up with these names? It's just the way they had names in ancient Greece. It's very consonant-heavy. Thank goodness that died out because, like, could I mean, you Greek names, I mean, Greek names today are similar to a degree. Like, just the Greek language is like, like I said, like very consonant heavy. Yeah. And second trial against Nicomachus, the charges weren't 
they're not very clear. But basically, they read out like this. He was charged with not preserving the worship of the city's gods in the way that Tapatrio demanded. And specifically, this goes back to the two organizations that Nicomachus was a part of come the, come the new democracy. Well, he had, after the first coup, he was part of one. And after the second coup, he was part of another one. But both of, the, both of them served the same purpose. Let's see if I can find the name of it here. I know I got it. Where's it at? All right, the first one was called the Anagraphos, or Anagraphice, which is those who write up, those who write the laws. And then the second was the Nomothetai, the men who, which is the, the men who place laws. Mm. And basically this came after the coup in 411, uh, predominantly because most of the laws in Athens to that point were really unwritten laws. Even the Constitution itself, large parts of it were, were left unwritten. Mm-hmm. And as time had gone on, the centuries had gone on, like it was just accepted. Like certain beliefs, like laws, were just, without actually being written down, were just accepted fact. And these were laws passed down by the, basically the founders of Athens and the, gov- and the government of the polis, uh, Lycon and Draco. You heard the term draconian laws before? Mm-mm. You ever heard Draconian before? No. Nope. Well, it comes from Draco. <laughs> All I can think of is Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter. <laughs> I think of Draco from Dragonheart. <laughs> Jeez. What? I don't know. I don't. Are you even... calling me old right now? A little bit, but like I also that was don't... a good movie. <laughs> I, no, I'm not saying it wasn't a good movie. It definitely was. I just don't remember all the names from that movie. What, Sean Connery is a dragon? You can't get much better than that. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> Alright, so Nicomachus, and basically these charges came down that he was not publishing the nomoi, the laws, correctly. Mm-hmm. So as they were like doing their research and publishing laws, they weren't lining up with the, Athen- the common Athenian memory. And of course, the Athenians were m- misremembering the laws, the guys in the uh, Anagraphis and them with the tie were just writing them down wrong. On purpose or like? No, like that's how the Athenians perceived it. It's like, no, there's no way we, we're misremembering this stuff. This is the way things have always been. These guys are just doing their job bad. They're, they're just bad at their job. So they're just trying to put blame on someone else? Yeah. And so this came down to he was in abuse of his office because he, was, he stayed in there long at this point in time. Even though he was serving his office... And then the coup of 404, the the 30, happened. Mm-hmm. So he, basically the office didn't exist for a while. And then when the democracy came back and the, a year later, he joined the, the new office. But another piece of really damning, what would have been damning evidence at the time against him was that he wasn't even a citizen. He wasn't a citizen because he was allegedly... And I don't think they could prove. They, I don't think they could prove it, and they didn't. Was uh, that he was a bastard child of a slave? Did that really matter? Yeah. In, in that society, if you yeah, if you wanted to be a citizen of Athens, you had to be born from two. Well, an Athenian man and an Athenian woman. Well, what if the slave was? Wait, you said he was born of a slave. Or a a common... le- allegedly, he was the bastard child of a slave. 
So what if the slave was Athenian, or do slaves... Or... Slaves aren't Athenian. They're, oh, okay. they're slaves. Slaves are not citizens. Oh, okay. To be, and specifically to be a citizen of Athens, you have to be a man, and you have to be, you have to own land or have some kind of capital. So women were not citizens. They, they were Athenians, but they weren't citizens, and slaves... Had just, like, no rights at all, right? I mean, there were things you couldn't couldn't do to them, which kind of went into, like, religious law. Like, you couldn't just murder your slaves if you felt like it. I bet that yeah, was but... totally done on the down low. <laughs> uh, possibly. <laughs> I mean, come on. There's always I someone. Mean, I mean, the Athenian slaves didn't have it as bad. I mean, slavery is not good no matter how you shake it, but at least Athenian slaves didn't have it as bad as Spartan slaves did, mm. who were periodically murdered. Yeah. Just almost for the hell of it. <laughs> like the Spartans had little death squads that would go into slave communities and just massacre whole family. Just to prove a point that the Spartans were in charge and that if the slaves ever tried to revolt, then that would happen to the rest of them. Was um, freeing <laughs> slaves a thing back then? Like, could you like let your slave have their freedom back or no? I want to say yes. I don't know the details of it, though. It'd be interesting to know if, like... If, if one, if they could, I would assume there'd be a way to do that. Oh, I'm sure there was. I just don't know. I just don't know. But it also would be interesting to know if, like, a male slave could become Athenian. You said he just has to own property, right? And have, like, capital. Well, if you're a slave, you can't own property. But if he was a freed slave, if he yeah, if he was given if he was given his freedom and then he he somehow and he worked his way and he got property. Yeah, and yeah, he could become an Athenian citizen. So it's I mean, not like you had to be all, born into also, it. You could come well, from actually, another country. Well, it's and not just it's not just having to like be part of the city and owning territory. Like you had to be born in Attica into one of the tribes of Attica. So what if and you're so so it was partly blood based. Okay. Because like what I'm saying is like you could come from another country. You could no. go move over there. If you're and buy if property, you're a foreigner, you if a you're citizen. no, if you're a foreigner, you would never be a citizen. How would they know though? How would they know? Oh, they knew. <laughs> they were that people, into no people talk differently people dress differently it was like it was it was there very were big differences back then uh skin tone difference maybe facial features from from like neighboring countries the skin tone was that different back then or now i guess too rather yeah more or less i mean like here's one country the very next country over i mean greeks had shared features but they had their own like different like accents, dialects. Like you could tell, you could tell a Theban from an Athenian and a, a Corinthian from a Spartan. Mm. <laughs> like they understood differences. <laughs> well, so like, did he know if his mom was a slave or not? I don't know. It never came up. It never really came up. But basically, so they could they, never they, prove they, they it. Couldn't, they couldn't prove it. It was just. It, it was wasn't just that I think it wasn't that his mother was a slave. It was a male slave who had had sex with the, his mother. Oh, so they're <laughs> saying that his dad was a slave. But, I mean, yeah. his mom doesn't matter because females weren't citizens yeah. to had, begin with. Yeah, had he had it been his father and a female slave, maybe he could get away with it. But had it been a male slave with his mother... Completely different yeah. story. Don't wow. quote me on it. I'm, that might not be entirely correct, but I'm pretty sure that's how it would work. Mm-hmm. Based on what I know. Okay. But basically, like, they couldn't... One, the abusive office thing, like, 
there was a coup while he while he was there. Like there's not much he could do about that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he came back and he still got into the same office. It's not like he just took it over or anything. Right. So so what was the thing? They accused him of not being an actual citizen, so what happened? Well, one, they like I said, they never proved it, and it really just came down to the fact that he challenged the public tradition mm-hmm. that everyone had accepted by that point. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, like the laws weren't written down. There were laws uh, commonly like displayed in Athens in the form of like stella, which is like carved on stone, yeah, or whatever. Or more often than that, like in the Agora, in the marketplace, they would just be hanging up on wooden plaques. Yeah. Just hanging around the marketplace. Basically telling people, like, be courteous, behave yourselves, and don't, don't do this. Steal. Don't do this, this, and this. <laughs> <laughs> just the basic of basics. <laughs> Pretty like... much. <laughs> but there are also laws, like I said, like religious laws telling you to, like, this is how you observe such and such festival. This is how you give proper sacrifice to the gods mm-hmm. at what time of year, what time of day, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so more than anything else, when it came to those laws, that was what he was really being accused of. It was like, oh, we've been sacrificing to the gods this way for the last 50, 100 years. Mm-hmm. And then he, him and his uh, the other people in the organization did their research and like, no, actually, they they meant us to do it like this. And instead of just accepting that they were wrong, they doubled down like, no, you're wrong. We were right. It's kind of like a classic <laughs> case of like someone challenging what everyone knows. What everyone knows, quote unquote, to be true. To be true, right? But in reality, like probably isn't the most true. You think it was just like a translation mistake? No, you said earlier they thought that the people who just wrote it down weren't doing their job well so do you think it was like a translation error like what do you mean Trent? Um, i'm not sure what you mean because like you're you're talking about like these laws right yeah and he's challenging the law saying that the law was wrong and it should be done this way well he's not he's not saying he's not saying the law was wrong he's saying the way it's being interpreted is wrong okay right so So like so like do you think that it was like a translation thing like when it was written on paper it just wasn't put the right way and that's where it the probably tra- was like, originally but for either matters of convenience or any other number of human issues mm-hmm. like they just kind of slowly changed and morphed over time yeah and now he's gone back to like the old old records like buried to check them out buried deep in the athenian archives uh-huh. and found i was like oh shit we've been doing this all wrong <laughs> well i guess and he's trying to like, he's trying to put that out to the public right and they're like, no, we're not doing. We haven't been doing this wrong. Right. What do you mean? You must be doing your job wrong. We're not wrong. You're wrong. Mm. I just don't see how there could be that much interpretation being done incorrectly if it's not on purpose. I guess what I mean. No, I mean, he wasn't interpreting the laws wrong. He was writing them down as they were. It's just that's just the way the thing it. In the Athenian, in the com, in the popular mind, it had changed over time. Like instead of sacrificing to Zeus on a Saturday, they did it on a Monday. What does it really matter? It Which mattered. Day it, is? it mattered a lot to the Athenians. <laughs> okay. Nowadays, people wouldn't really care too much. Well, uh, it's like say people stopped going to church on Sunday and they started going on Thursday. 
That would be a little weird. Yeah. Though, I mean, like, <laughs> the thing with that, though, is, like, a lot of churches have, like, a midweek service on Wednesday. Well, yeah, but so, instead of, like, like, when you go to, let's say, like, when you go to communion, instead of getting a cracker and a sip of wine, you get a Coke and a Dorito. <laughs> Gosh, that would be so weird. <laughs> I got an idea. Okay. I mean, yeah, that would be weird. That would be really weird. Could you imagine? Yeah. That would be so weird. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Okay, so moving on. But in the end, he was able to argue his innocence. and. So he was innocent in the yeah, long he... run? Like nothing happened to him? Yeah, he got he got, he got acquitted. Just like Anasides did. Okay. So what do you do? He just went on with his happy life after that? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, there you go. But, uh, I don't know. The two things that Anasides and Nicomachus had in common, which, based on what I've read, probably saved them more than anything else, was the fact that when the coup of 404 happened and all the Democrats fled Athens, mm-hmm. they did too. Which proved that they were loyal, at least to some degree, to the democracy. Oh, because all the other people left, and so did they. They followed the yeah. crowd. And again, Socrates didn't leave. I was about to say, crap, I mean, like, that'll make Socrates look really bad. Yeah. Even though Socrates <laughs> didn't participate, and there was a lot of, and was, uh, at least a few other Athenians who didn't participate in what the 30 was doing, mm-hmm. what Critias and his cronies were doing, mm-hmm. but the fact that they stayed in the city brought their loyalty to the democracy in question. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it sounds still like they still couldn't prove anything with, what, what was his name? The one that starts with an, an N, Nicomachus? Nicomachus, yeah. You said it right. So they still couldn't prove, they couldn't really prove anything with him. They couldn't really prove anything with the other guy either. Well, they could, but he his crimes fell, like they happened before 403. So they so were just bringing it up just because? Yeah, they were just trying to get dirt on him. Even though he had already technically been prosecuted for that years before. Right, right. So didn't apply to him anymore. <laughs> right. So it's just petty people trying to get people in trouble. Yeah. Gotcha. Basically, like, like you're saying with like the trial of the generals. Like, yeah. They're trying to get a leg up on anyone that's an obstacle or possible enemy. Mm-hmm. So the third person is Socrates? Mm-hmm. His was the third... I won't, I'm not gonna say final trial of that year, but it was like a really notable one. Cause I'm so, sure what exactly what he what was he charged on? Like, what was the actual like? This is why we were taking you to trial. His accusation came in three parts. Okay, lay it on me. And they all kind of, they all revolve around uh, Asabea and piety, but they come in three parts. The first one is corrupting the youth. The second one is introducing new deities. And the third is Metheos Nomizen. Nomizen. Translation, please. Not recognizing or honoring, acknowledging the gods recognized, honored, or acknowledged by the city. Okay, so let me just give you my opinions on these three. Okay. Really quick. Okay, the first one is like hilarious. What, what was the something the youth... Corrupting the Corrupting youth. Corrupting their youth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If someone could go to trial for that now, it would be fucking everyone. Everyone would be going to trial now for that. That is hilarious that someone could go to trial for that. Um, the other two, I could totally see why someone would want to, especially in a society where worshiping gods is like a big deal. 
I feel like now you would never be able to get away with that. Obviously, because yeah, freedom no, of religion. There's no state religion. Right, right. So, like, it that's wild. Like, I never thought of it, but, like, that's so true. Someone back then could totally, like, get roasted for that. It's, like, the Catholic Church dubbing you a heretic in the medieval ages. Yeah. It almost makes me think of, when we were watching Rome, how Octavia, uh, Octavius, the boy... Octavian? Octavian. Gosh. Yeah, Octavian, how he was like, I'm not even, he was talking to his sister, and he was like, I'm not even sure if I believe in gods. And she goes, how dare you? You know, like, yeah. she got like, all like, oh shit, don't want anyone to let you Atheism's always been a thing, but it was like, not, not until relatively recently in human history where it's been widely accepted. Yeah. So, I mean, it just like, I mean, that definitely puts it in perspective. Like, we are very blessed to live in the time that we are now where we can have opinions Mm-hmm. Uh, people can have opinions like that and not be drawn quartered or burned to the stake or any other number yeah of, or like uh, thrown horrible, in prison or horrible something tortures. <laughs> yeah so would now i have a quick question uh was was it all did like a a guilty sentence back then always end in just like their death or was exile no, it could, a thing? no it can end in fines or possibly exile okay they had like different like yeah, ver- based like, based on severity of the crime oh okay okay so like in terms of severity like how how bad how bad is it looking for Socrates at the moment? In terms of like impiety, pretty fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, I mean, I would assume, especially for the last two, the first one I don't really get. Like, what was he doing? Like, what was he? Te- was it just like his teachings they didn't agree with, and that's why they were like, "You're corrupting our children." More or less. Did a lot of children even go, like, hear him speak? Well, like, not how was chil- you- not children like? literal children right we're talking like young men well i'm thinking like young adults like teenagers yeah so you're talking like teenagers maybe guys in their 20s maybe maybe a few in their 30s they would call that youth yeah okay i mean socrates in 399 he's 70 years old okay i guess in terms of that yeah but okay all right so let's Let's get it going on. How how did they tackle the? Also, another question: If someone was in trial, right? If someone was like, "Okay, we're gonna put you on trial," did they like keep them in a prison back then, or was it kind of like one of those deals where like as long as they don't leave like the town, like? No, that was that was a prison. So like he was in prison when this whole trial thing was going on. No, he was only in prison after he was convicted. Spoiler alert: He was convicted. Oh wow! Okay ruin it for me i feel like my bubble was just pop well i mean i guess i kind of knew that but but no like while they were in trial they weren't they were allowed to go and allowed to come and go okay more or less okay i mean they weren't really allowed to leave the city they couldn't leave the city well right that's what i'm saying as long as they didn't leave the city like they could just like go home every day and like come back to court the next day and socrates didn't have a home so (laughs) well okay you know what i mean (laughs) you know what i mean come on okay all right so what happened so who was the who was the person who was like, hey Socrates, guess what? You're going to trial. Was there, there like a specific person? Or? It, was, it was three of them. Three different people. It was three people who accused them of these things. Okay, who were they? Uh, a young a young man named Melitus, an older aristocrat named Anitus, and another older speaker called Lycon. I feel like Lycon rings a bell somewhere. Well, like lycan- lycanthropy, lycanthrope. No, just like the name sounds familiar. Like maybe I've heard of him somewhere. Uh, 
Probably Maybe. not, though. This icon, I doubt. <laughs> yeah. It just sounds like a cool name, I guess. Okay, so what happened? So, did they, like, did they, like, how does, uh, how, like, I'm having a hard time understanding, like, how does one go to court? Back in the day, like, was it like one of those things where like an announcer in the street was like, Basically, so and so is going to court for X, Y, and Z, or so was it like someone dragged ex- him into the courtroom? No, and so was like, like the accusers, the accusers will go to the council or whatever court uh-huh. and lodge their accusation, Complaint. lodge their accusation, okay, to the court, and then and then the accused will receive a summons. From the court, uh huh, and they have to report, and they, and they have to go. And there. then that's how it kind of goes. If they don't go, then they, then people are sent after them. <laughs> I got you. Okay, okay. So it's like a summons deal. Yeah. Okay. So they gotcha. receive a summons and they go. Okay. So Socrates received the summons and he went, heard his indictment, mm-hmm. uh, worked out some details. Like, okay, you're going to go before the council for your for your trial yeah. on. At Whatever. this day, at this time. <laughs> so, were there like lawyers back then? Not really. Athenian citizens always stood in their own defense. Okay, so obviously, and I, I didn't think you, Socrates what, would have a council, but like I just figure. What you could do was that you could hire somebody to basically write your speech for you that you would give to the council. Oh, okay. So, like, there was like a little like leeway. Yeah. And it was like uh, one of the. Uh, records for the other trials that we talked about. One of the records for that is a uh, is a writer named Lysias, mm-hmm. and that's what he was known for. He would write speeches for people going before the council and everything. Oh, okay. And allegedly, he actually offered to write a write one for Socrates, but Socrates refused him. Uh, that sounds um, not that I know Socrates personally, of course, but that's, no, that's absolutely what that, he would do. That, yeah, that hundred percent kind of sounds like the kind of man he was. He was like, "No, nah, I got this." Like, yeah, no, it was like Socrates. It was said by Xenophon and Plato and the and everybody else who knew him was like Socrates took no counsel but his own. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, from what you've told me about him, he that just sounds like the kind of guy he was. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, so Melitus uh, brought forth his charge on behalf, and this is said in let's see, in Plato's Apology, Melitus brought forth his uh, accusation on behalf of the poets, Anitus on behalf of the craftsmen and the politicians, and Lycon on behalf of the orators. So they're presenting their cases on behalf of like a group of people. Yes. You can do well, that. They're basing it on that to like give their accusations more weight, but really it's just they feel personally attacked by attacked him. by Socrates or not even Socrates. Like we're getting into the char- getting into the first charge of corrupting the youth. So Socrates would do would give these talks, and the youth would come and listen to him. Yeah, and they would feel inspired or invigorated by whatever he was talking about and the way he conducted his uh, rhetoric. Mm-hmm. In like the way he asked questions and everything, trying to get to the root of problems, like as Socrates was trying to do, mm-hmm. and so they would feel empowered by this, and they would go out around the polis and go to other people who were talking or practicing trades or whatever, mm-hmm. and they would ask them questions. And learning from Socrates, one of the greatest questioners that's ever existed, 
they would eventually ask so many questions where the person they were asking couldn't, couldn't answer, answer the, couldn't answer the questions so anymore. So they felt like idiots. Yeah. Basically. But if you think <laughs> about it, that's how the best conversate, like in today's society. It is, I feel but people also don't like being told they're wrong. <laughs> it's mean, not even, or being proven that they're not, not really correct. Yeah. They don't, people don't like feeling like idiots. I, I, I know what you're talking about, but at the same time, I like okay. So for instance, this like this podcast, right? I feel like an idiot. I don't know anything, right? But I mean, that's just because I don't know anything about this particular part of history. Well, you haven't but, stu- you haven't studied this, I right? Have, so right. But again, I know nothing. So I feel like <coughs> when I ask, like I feel like us back and forth, me asking you questions and you responding, and me like having more to ask about. I just feel like it's a good like repertoire kind of thing. I think that goes for any kind of discussion. Like, I think if people could stomach the fact or have an open mind that they might be wrong, Mm -hmm. great conversations would happen all the time and it would happen on camera because everything's freaking recorded nowadays. I mean, could you imagine, like, could you imagine just, like, the president having an open conversation with, like, normal people mm-hmm. and like but he'd also would have to be willing to answer stuff like he could even be honest and be like i don't know like i don't know how to answer that like because like i was telling you about how like i was watching that thing um i was watching that little clip that was on the news where like reporters were asking him questions and this one reporter asked him something i don't remember what it was now at all but he like straight up just like looked in the direction of the reporter just smiled and basically was like, okay, next report. Like, he didn't even want to answer. So the thing is, it's like, I feel like at one point, even teachers, though, and like, in a classroom, you, I would like, say especially, like, younger teachers and, like, teachers teaching in, like, a high school or yeah. lower level. Like, if you try to question them, most of them do not like it. And they let you know right away. <laughs> well, I don't think that's necessary. Well, maybe at a lower level. But, like, when I was in school for chiropractic, our teachers were like, please, Ask us anything. If we don't well, that's know it, though. and like in like college or like you're you're in a doctorate program, like yeah, they want you to ask questions because they want you to understand and get material, and but, they are experts on the material. Teachers in like high school, in like high school or middle school or whatever, mm-hmm. because they want to act like they're the higher authority. You think that's what the problem is? I think a there? lot. I think a lot of teachers get into it, and they do see it, whether they actively seek it or not. It is a position of authority. And when people are given a position of authority, it's very empowering to them. And sometimes they, and they don't like their authority being challenged. Once they have it, they don't like it when it's challenged. Right. Well, I'm just saying, like, because there would be sometimes when someone in like my class would ask a question, and the teacher would be like, "You know what? I don't know, but like I can look it up. How about I look it that's up the and way, you look it up? That's the way it and should we'll be. And we'll talk about it next class." But there's also plenty of teachers. I'm not gonna say most of them, but there's plenty of teachers that. I just, I just feel, I just feel like people would grow more, like in terms of like their knowledge and as like people, if more people would be accepting of being like, I want to be honest with you, I have no idea what the answer is to that question, but I'll go research it. You go research it. The next time we see each other, we'll like, we'll answer that question together. Because I feel like, how else can you grow as like like a community or like a society if ever if like one person always just claims to know everything but is unwilling to answer mm-hmm. something they don't know about 
I just feel like that it, you become deadlocked at that point. Because then, like, what's what's the point of asking questions if you're not going to go further than what I need you to for my education? Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, like, I think that's good. Like, kudos to Socrates for, like, freaking seeing that dynamic. And, like, that's if that's the way he did his, like, speeches and stuff, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's, like, really inspiring, actually. All, I think freaking all teachers should read about him. Honestly, I think that yeah. they would gain and, a lot and most, from that. Most teachers, and me, honestly, most teaching positions are at the, are outside of the collegiate level, and even then, most teachers just like look it up to the point where it's like, oh yeah, he was a famous philosopher in Athens. He created philosophies, one of the fathers of Western thought, and that's about it. Well, I feel like, <laughs> like, and that's that's really sad. I feel like these people were all like. If you think about it, all these people were on the brink of, like, really coming across something special in their time period. And it's so sad that people always want to, like, people who are higher than those people in terms of, like, society want to squash those people. Because then you squash... Because they're a threat. I know. But then you squash... If you think about it, you squash how great your community and your society could be if you let it happen. Like, don't get me wrong. And that's what Socrates could... wanted. Right. But he was... That's ch- what... But he was... In, he was indirectly challenging the authority. The whole, right. And I get that. that but at the same time, I still feel like... I still feel like... he All he... Like, what we've been talking about, all he wanted to do was better humanity. And, like, to have, like, these really, like, confident, smart... Like well-to-do people be successful. Yeah, that's that's what he wanted, and that's that's all he wanted. And I feel like if you let people ask important questions, you know, that's that's a way that people gain their knowledge. Like I might not necessarily study this stuff, but talking to you about it and asking questions, I'm gonna remember it a little bit better. I'm probably not gonna. I'm definitely not gonna be able to spew out everything but i could like give you a cue where like i'm like hey do you remember that one time we were talking about socrates and we were talking about something related to this and you'd be like oh yeah i'd like spit it all out but like you know what i mean like you're just gonna be better for it i feel it's just sad that they couldn't see how that could have been vital to them growing as just a general society yeah and it's honestly that's one of the great failings i see of education today especially in the United States, is that the idea of the lecture is so prevalent, like being lectured to or being, it, it's or being, not told, even... or being told things, being taught things. Yeah. Like, it's all like, this is this, is this because that that's just what it is. Yeah. Instead of having conversations about yeah. things. Like, well, why is this this? How did this come about? Or what was done after this? Or any number of routes that you can go down. Yeah. And uh, I just think education would be so much better if yeah. it was more conversationally based, question-based, instead of just being told. Yeah. And I don't... I feel like because you were you were saying how, like, of course, like, my learning environment when I went to my doctorate program was different than people who just went for, like, high school or, like... Just yeah, you like were their on, undergrad. Like you were on such a higher level. Yeah, I mean, like, now that I even think about it, like, my undergrad experience was so different from, like, from that, from, like, my doctorate experience. Like, 
in undergrad, we literally, like you were saying, we were, like, just lectured to. It wasn't, like, it wasn't, like, they closed off the idea of, like, us asking questions. But it's not like they were, like, asking for it either. They were, I, I never once had a teacher who was, like, let's have a conversation about this. Like, like, tell me, like, is this easy? Like, like, do you guys get what I'm talking about? Whereas, like, in my doctor program, it was always, like, a let's like really get into the nitty-gritty like if you have a question just ask it you don't have to raise your hand just ask it we're all adults here just be an adult ask a question and i'll give you my honest opinion and like sometimes there would be really good back and forth between the students in my class and the teachers and it was actually like it was like eye-opening because you know you could like get a different perspective yeah and you all grew including including the professor right because of that (laughs) exactly so i mean it's it's I wish that I wish that for like our kids and I mean, we've talked about how we want to do homeschooling eventually mm-hmm. and we talked about how we actually want to have like legitimate debates with our children oh, absolutely. which I think is a lost art form I think we both have said that at one point yeah I mean that I mean my dad brought it up and I've thought about it ever since I don't remember how many years ago he brought it up but like back when he was going through school like, debate was a big thing. Yeah. Like, up through high school and even in college. Mm-hmm. So like, debate teams, debate clubs, things of that nature. And while those things still do exist today, mm-hmm. they're not nearly as prevalent as they were. Yeah. And, like, at best, that's something, like, nerds do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the dumb, closest... like, people who can actually, like... It's kind of like getting into... Uh, it, it's one of the... Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like one of the ideas. It's it's a theory around history or story arts. It's called like great man, the great man theory. Mm-hmm. Basically, like a few great individuals, like great men or great women, like took the reins and like led this historical whatever historical era or period or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that these people could speak, and like the oratician, like the person giving the rhetoric. Has so much more power than yeah. one who doesn't. Right. And that's just the way it is. Like, if you could speak well, you can do anything. You, you can do damn near anything in life. Yeah. Why do you like, think there's so the many mo- scammers in the world? It's because those people know how to be cars. Uh, how do you say the word? I'm having trouble saying it. Char- charismatic. They can be charismatic and they can speak well to others. That's how people scam people. You see it all the time. Like, it, it's, like, and I'm not just talking about, like, the scammers you get, like, who call you on your phone and text you or some shit. I'm talking about, like, in-life scammers who end up getting your money from you in person because they, they're just that good at talking to people. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I had a thought, and I was going to say it. Um, it was something that you said. I lost it. It was something that you said, though. I don't know. I can't remember. But it's like, yeah, it's like the the orators are the ones who end up with a lot of power because you just, if you sound like you know what you're talking about, you say it with confidence, people are going to look to you as an authority. Mm -hmm. You can be a complete idiot. Yeah. (laughs) But if you're confident and you're not fucking up your words when you're saying it. Then you're solid. Yeah. It's like people who want to sell you like a brand. Like, I'm trying to sell, like, you know how, like, influencers or, like, whatever, they're always, like, let me sell you my brands because they they come off so confident and, like, I don't know, just, like, 
I, I like I don't know how to explain it. I get what you're saying though. Mm-hmm. You're better explaining it than I am, but I I totally get that. Yeah. But kudos for Socrates. Like I'm already I I like this guy before, but like I dig him even more. Yeah. So the other two charges though, um, about religion and stuff like that. What was yeah. he saying that people didn't agree with? Well, on the charge of introducing new deities, it was known by anyone who knew Socrates that he attributed a lot of whatever wisdom he felt like he had, which he didn't feel like he had much, mm-hmm. but he felt like he was being helped by, depending on what translation you read, depending on what account you're reading, it's, it goes by several names. Basically, it was this this voice mm-hmm. that lived in his head, this... Uh, he called it sometimes, uh, depending on, again, depending on translation, the divine voice. Okay. That didn't, it didn't tell him what to do, mm-hmm. but he felt like whenever, he felt like, the way he described it was that whenever he was about to do something that he shouldn't do, mm-hmm. or make a wrong decision, that voice would chime in and tell him not to do it. Did it sound like Jiminy Cricket? I don't know. Because it, <laughs> it sounds like that might have just been his conscious, you think? Like, based on what he described, is like, yeah, it basically was his conscious, but he acted like it was this. He called it well in a, in Plato, it's called a gift from from the gods, mm-hmm. specifically the god. And when Socrates, and when Socrates, whether in Plato or Xenophon, uh, refers to the god, he's talking about the god of uh, Apollo. He's the the sun. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was basically, as Socrates was saw, basically his, his patron, mm-hmm. more or less. So he was, but like Apollo was already a god, right? In yeah. their society. So like, were, like him introducing it, a new god, like... It, they were, his accusers were trying to stretch it to where like this, this divine voice was its own deity being put forward by Socrates. Oh, so they didn't see, they, so because they were trying to get him in trouble anyway. Yeah. They, so they were, they were trying to play things, it off like that. They were looking for things to get him in trouble. Gotcha. And when was, everyone else pretty much just saw it as like a gift that he was receiving. Well, from even Apollo. then, even uh, in Xenophon gets into gets into it as well. I'm looking for. I have the quote here. Where is it? No, that's not it. Where is it? Damn it. Oh, here it is. So Xenophon writes, like, those who rely on bird calls and the utterances of men are, I suppose, receiving guidance from voices. This, too, as I say, is a universal claim and belief. So basically prophets and soothsayers. Oh, okay. It's no different from that. Okay. That's that's the argument here. It's like... Wait, so, do they believe in prophets? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, they did? Yeah. Okay. So then, like... If prophets, you, oracles, right. like birds, like signs from like or, uh, omens from like the birds. Oh, and oh okay, okay. That was all widely accepted, like up and through, basically until Christianity became the state religion of Rome. So did Zena? That was by Xenophon. Yeah, that quote was from Xenophon. Does Xenophon, you think, see Socrates as like, as like a um, a prophet type figure? No, he just. No, he just sees him as like a mentor. Okay. But he likens the voice that Socrates said he had mm-hmm. to same to as like that. same as basically having like a guardian spirit. Yeah. Which Greeks believe in the gods and spirits mm-hmm. and their interactions with humans and 
whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, his theory was, it didn't fall outside of what was already accepted belief. Right. But people took it to the next level because they wanted to get him they're, in trouble. They're just trying to get him in trouble. Okay. They're looking to pin anything. So that him. was the introducing a new deity. What about the other one? So the other one. This, I think the second one. Yeah. Which was him like claiming that. Um, uh, not recognizing, honoring, acknowledging the gods yeah. that were recognized, honored, was or that? acknowledged by the city. Did he just forget to sacrifice one day? Basically, that was what he was being accused Oh my of. gosh, you're kidding. No, that's it. You're right. Oh my gosh. And okay. Really, there's no evidence that I've come across of that. There, I came across one scholar when I was doing my research who said, like, oh, Socrates, oh, Socrates was like a, a known heretic in his day. And I'm like, is there any proof of that? And in his article, he didn't offer any proof of it. He just said, like, it was, just, it was known that he was a heretic. Okay, and so I'm like, no. Okay, so I according have to, to Xenophon and Plato, he observed the rituals and rites that every other Athenian citizen did whenever they came up. Right. <laughs> so, so I have a quick question, just for my understanding, in terms of sacrificing whatever to whatever god. How did everyone know that everyone took part in that? Like, was it a private thing that you did, like on your property and your house, or was it like a thing where like it was you like went a, to a temple and it was like, like a everyone? Fest- it basically, the really important ones were big festivals, and that time you go to Athens, you go to the agora, the marketplace, uh-huh. and then go to the te- the temples or the shrines or whatever. So was everyone accounted offered- for? Was there like a list that like when you walked into town they would like? Well, when you think of like off? these, you think of like these cities back then. It's not like the population isn't nearly as high as today. I know that's so, what I'm like, saying. Anybody, like, anybody, I feel like you could have had a list and like. No, but like anybody who's anybody, like you, you know where they are. Okay. You know who you know who they are and you know where they are. Like Socrates by this point, seven years old, he was renowned as a hoplite. Mm-hmm. He's well known as this he wouldn't call himself it, but he was known as like a teacher or sophist yeah, and yeah. everybody everybody knew it. So so basically so it, it, if Socrates suddenly just skipped out on a right, festival people or would know. people would know. <laughs> but was there ever a record of people coming to say, like, hey, I went to, like, this festival and I didn't see Socrates at all? No. So, like, were, was it all, like, unfounded, you think? Like, because they just Pretty wanted much, to get yeah, him Pretty much, yeah. There was no proof. There, like, again, it was just another charge thrown at the wall. Mm-hmm. Just basically a bunch of charges thrown at a wall, seeing what would stick. Gotcha. Okay, so what happened? So he was called in. He got a summons. He was called in. Yeah. And there's there's two accounts of his apology, which apology doesn't mean literal apology. It just means defense. Okay. So there's two accounts of his defense given by Plato and Xenophon. Mm-hmm. And they're similar, but very, like, it, similar in, like, what Socrates talks about. It's kind of mm-hmm. similar, but they're very, very different. Plato's apology, at least in the translation I have, it goes on for like 20 pages and it's just all Socrates talking for all those 20 pages. Oh, Obviously, wow. Socrates did not <laughs> Socrates did not get up in front of the council and lecture for three, four, well, I'm not going to say lecture because I don't, Socrates didn't lecture. Yeah. And, and talk for like three, talk for like three hours. Right. <laughs> he didn't do that. Okay. And you know that for a fact, like, is that like a record somewhere? No, but like, I'm pretty, like, all the things that are said in Plato's apology mm-hmm. were not going to be said spur of the moment 
by Socrates. So wait, when he got the summons, it, was it like right away he had to get into his like defense, or well, was he, it? He got, well, he got the summons, went in to like hear the charges he was accused of, and given, and then the key would come back later, and, right? And then given his day in court, uh-huh. uh, he would come back on that day. So I mean, he could have had something prepared. Do you think? Like, do you think? Socrates I'm sure he thought. Would have been it, I'm that sure kind he thought. No, I'm sure he thought about it extensively. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you can go and. It, it's in the room right now and like, go get the translation that I have and look at it and be like, yeah, like, and there's also things in Plato's Apology that wouldn't be known at the time. They would only be known in hindsight after mm-hmm. the fact. Um, so like, obviously Socrates isn't going to be talking about this stuff. Right. So do you think he just added in stuff after the fact? Like he Well, you got to ask, the, you got to ask the question, like, why did Plato write his apology? So and why did he? Basically, in my view, he wrote it to protect and preserve the reputation of his mentor so you think he doctored it a little bit because oh absolutely wanted... and i guarantee xenophon did to a degree as well but in my in my opinion uh xenophon did a little bit less of that mm-hmm. and plato was actually there plato witnessed socrates's trial so he was there well, he heard xenophon. uh like we we're talking about earlier uh the expedition of the ten thousand and oh. he was in persia trying to yeah. get he was in persia trying to get home right right so he so you think xenophon just heard heard about it when he got back well yeah he did and, and he that's... talked to he talked to uh several of socrates associates who were poss- probably there possibly plato as well who were there witnessed the trial mm-hmm. and the one that he names that he really leans on is uh Hermogenes, mm-hmm. who's, uh, I want to say, uh, not younger, but young-ish mm-hmm. uh, follower of Xenophon. I think he's in his 30s. Mm-hmm. I mean, not follower of Xenophon, a follower of Socrates. And Hermogenes claimed to have like spoken to Socrates before and after the trial. Mm-hmm. And Xenophon got a lot of insight from him. And just the way Xenophon presents his version of events... It's just a lot more pragmatic and mm-hmm. a lot simpler. Like Socrates still drones on a little bit, but if you think like Socrates talked all the time, like yeah. he, he had the ability to do that. Okay, so what 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 did Socrates say? Like obviously he was innocent, right? Yeah. So. I mean, honestly, reading uh, even Plato's apology, like. I mean, you got to kind of slug through it sometimes, but it's an, it's an enjoyable read, so I would recommend reading it. And then a much easier read would be Xenophon. Mm-hmm. On one of the quotes I got down from one of the charges, uh, the charge of corrupting the youth, mm-hmm. there was a, a lot of elements that went into that. And uh, one, of them I'm saving, one of them I'm saving for last because it, it's probably the one that ended up killing Socrates. Mm-hmm. But one of the quotes I have... And talking about corrupting the youth was, uh, Socrates said, according to Xenophon, uh, according to, through Hermogenes, I admit it, at least where education is concerned. People know that I have made a special study of the matter, but when health is at stake, people listen to doctors rather, rather than their parents. So don't you think it's strange that whereas those who are outstanding at other activities get not only appropriate compensation, but even conspicuous recognition I am prosecuted by you on capital charge because there are people who think I am an expert at education, which is the greatest of human goods. 
I mean, bro was right. Education is the greatest thing you could have, in my opinion. And, and again, it's like he wasn't claiming to be a teacher. Yeah. He just he was just going out there and talking to anybody who wanted he, to talk to him. If anything, he and, was having like <laughs> educational talks. He wasn't he wasn't teaching. No, he was talking. He was about, having like educational conversations with people. Yeah, that all he did, and and Xenophon says it too. Like Socrates didn't lecture. Socrates didn't talk. He just was. Yeah. And he and he was an example uh-huh. for other Athenians to aspire for other Athenians, especially the Athenian youth, young male youth, mm-hmm. to aspire to. And Xenophon, I'm sure when Xenophon got back and found out that one of his probably one of his greatest mentors was dead. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> no, I'm sure he wasn't either. And so he in the apology and even and again in the memorabilia. Which is like all his stories that he either he knows or has been told about Socrates. He's like, y'all killed this dude because he was a good example. Who, who was like this really pivotal, this really great example to other Athenians. And y'all killed him? Excuse me? <laughs> and just because I'm on a quote thing right now, I want to find another one that I have about one of his other charges. Oh, yeah. Well, this actually gets into another part of corrupting the youth. So Athens is a democracy, mm-hmm. which stands anyone who lives in that society is probably a Democrat by association, except for maybe the aristocracy who did who led two coups mm-hmm. against it. Well, Socrates was not a member of the aristocracy by any means. He was a hoplite. He served as a hoplite, but... In his later years, after after his service, he had no home, no property, no money, walked everywhere barefoot in dirty robes, living off of the charity of others. Mm-hmm. But he was still not, you could not call Socrates a Democrat by any stretch of the, any stretch of the word. He was a staunch critic of democracy. And in the end, that's probably what killed him. But not being a, not being a Democrat. Yeah. Well, what what did he did he ever claim to be anything? Not really, but he it was well known for years mm-hmm. that he was not. He thought democracy was, to put it politely and yes. probably in his words, not not BS, <laughs> like to put it politely, like just foolish. Okay. Like another quote I got is. Uh, Does this quote explain why he thinks it's foolish? Uh, it explains it in one way. There's a lot of other ways, and actually, I haven't read all of it yet, but I've read part of it. In Plato's Republic, book six, basically lays out. A part of that book lays out Socrates's uh, critique of democracy. Oh. And. That would be an interesting read, I feel. Yeah, I've, I've read part of it, but I haven't read all, the whole thing. From what you've read, like, is it good? Yeah, it's pretty good. Hmm. But quote from another quote from Xenophon is, but it is fact, according to his accuser, that he encouraged... Oh, this is Xenophon talking about Socrates. So like, this isn't Socrates talking in Xenophon. Mm-hmm. Like, this is uh, Xenophon talking about it. 
So, but it is fact, according to his accuser, that he encouraged his associates to make light of constitutional practice by saying that it was foolish to appoint political leaders by lot and that nobody would employ a candidate chosen by lot as a pilot or a carpenter or a musician for any other such post. Although if these positions were are badly filled, they cause less harm than bad political appointments. And the accuser said that this sort of talk encouraged the young to despise the established constitution and made them unruly. Oh, okay. So that was that was like how they viewed him corrupting the youth. Yeah. So one part, the youth are running around and challenging all these authorities yeah. on their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the other part is that he was a known critic of democracy and he wasn't shy about it. Mm-hmm. And his and the at least some of the Athenian youth picked up on that. Hmm. But is it right to charge Socrates based on the actions of those who just listened to him and then made their own decisions? Because he never told anybody to do anything. He the never thing is. he never accepted payment for any of his uh, talks. Uh huh. And yeah. The thing is, it, like, I want to say no. It's not fair. But at the same time, throughout history, there are people who have followed someone that they would see as like a leader. And even if the leader themselves didn't do, like, you know they weren't disruptive with what they were saying, but, like, his followers were disruptive, the leader also got blamed. Yeah. So I can see how, like... I can see how he was, like, brought to that charge. Yeah, it plays in the human psychology. Like, whether you seek... Like, if you're a really... If you're a truly competent individual, people will see you in some kind of leadership position. Yeah. Regardless of whether you seek even though he, Even though he obviously continuously claimed... To not be anything other than what he was. Like, he never claimed to be a teacher. He also never... It's not... Like, at this point, I'm just assuming he never claimed for the youth to go out and attempt to do what he was doing with them. Like, in terms of, like, talking and questioning Mm -hmm. other people. But they got... Like, it was almost like they received some kind of, like, common sense. Like oh, I really should be asking these questions. And, like, in our society, it's normal, right? Like, we ask questions. But, like, to them, it may have not been as obvious because everyone just kind of went with the flow. They just wanted to be good citizens, abide by the law, whatever. But, like, Socrates was like, we should really start questioning, like, why is it that we do everything that we do? Yeah, it's not It's not to attack the institutions that no. exist. It's just to, like, okay, why do we do things the way we do? Why do we believe what we do? Right. Let's get to the root of that, build upon that. Yeah. And then like get, better under, forward. It's almost like you're, you're trying to better understand your surroundings so that you could benefit your surrounding. It, like, you know what I mean? Like... Like, for instance, we're doing the whole gardening thing, and, like, I've we I've watched videos, have read up a lot on it, and that's to better our experience of gardening. Now, I could, we could have easily have just, like, thrown some dirt together and planted some seeds, but, like, would it be as... Not asked any questions and just... Right, right. Like, would <laughs> it... Like if, it, if it failed, we'd just blame it on something. Yeah, we, like... We would just blame it on, like, the terrible weather that is our state. Either, either, the, like... either the terrible weather or <laughs> God or 
the person or the people next door, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Just blame something. But like, we know better. You know, like we know better because we we're bettering ourselves to better our experience with that, with our gardening. So like, which I, is to better in the long run our life. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So like, it comes full circle. But like back then again, it it like the mentality at least. Now, again, not, not like I've done like zero research, don't know a whole lot about the society back then. But to me, from what, just like our talks, I'm just assuming like back then it was just like, again, go with the flow, don't rock the boat, like follow all the rules, don't get in anyone's face. And like, you'll probably live like a, you know, a longer life than most. Like, you know, like, don't try to piss anyone off because the minute you piss someone off, they come up with a stupid charge and somehow get you on it. Like, you know, like, I don't know. It just seems stupid. Whereas, like, Socrates, he was literally just trying, like we've been saying, he was just trying to better humanity and his society. That's all he was trying to do. So it's so sad that people... It just, rub, it just rubs some people the wrong way. Yeah, it's sad that people see that, though. And, like, they saw it in the wrong light, where they could have seen it as, like, a great opportunity. Yeah. And you it's know? just, like, you think about, like, today, and, like, cancel culture is very prevalent in current society. Yeah. Socrates would 100%... Be canceled. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah, he definitely <laughs> would be. You know, and I don't, I don't really know a whole lot about, like, I... I get that it's basically a bunch of people ganging up on someone to get them off of basically, the internet, if someone, right? Someone, it's not just the internet, but it's someone who is bringing to the table some kind of views that this group of people doesn't agree with. So this group of people is going to make sure that their views never get heard. Yeah, it doesn't see, matter what they are. That doesn't do any good for it. Doesn't society? I mean, like one. I I also feel like. I wonder if, like, um, I wonder, because, you know, in, like, today's society, um, if you're in the minority, you're kind of kicked to the curb, right, in terms of, like, what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because, like, you really kind of see the true nature of people because you see how they react to someone. You know, like, y- you can see how mean people, how mean people can be. So I wonder if, like, back then, with Socrates going through all of this, there were people, because, like, he was put on trial. I wonder if there were people who were, like, part of, like, he was put on trial by the, the, how do you say it? The Purut or whatever, right? Or no? Was it something no, different? No, just the, he was put on trial by these three accusers, Melitus, uh, Lycon. But was there, like, but was there, like, an actual, like, council? Yeah, he went before the council. Right. So, like, what I'm saying is, I wonder if, like, the people of the council could see what was happening. Or if they just kind of believed what the accusers were trying to say. No, like, the charges were, for the most part, pretty obvious that they were kind of kind of bullshit. And that, that was obvious to those. And I mean... Do you think it was obvious, though? For the most part, yes. But there were some things that, unfortunately, were Dan Sarthi's, like his him being a critic of democracy. Right. Like, that was that's obviously a very clear mark against him. But is it is it enough to really convict him based on all the charges? Uh, it it might have been at that time. But a lot of scholars, historians, etc., look at it in the 
not just not really not so much his critique of democracy because he never oh, he never directly threatened the democracy. Right. He just asked questions about it. It's like, is this really the best way to do things? Right. And so what a lot of scholars really think got him in the end was the fact that when he gave his defense, he did so in a very arrogant tone. As such, he basically... A common practice for Athenians going before the council giving their defense a common practice was to basically beg for forgiveness mm-hmm. regardless of whether you're guilty or not but he and, didn't do that and plead your case so like oh like i got a wife and kids at home i can't be mm-hmm. convicted i can't be fined or executed mm-hmm. or whatever the or whatever so the, were, the possible think, chart, uh, possible punishment could have been do you think those people percentage wise do you think like their chances were high for getting off all the charges uh, by doing that by, by, what, by what I've seen most people did go that route and they got off like the, the charges were wiped not all the time but it, it, but most, it improved your chances right okay <laughs> either it, it was either through that or like I said like hire somebody like Lysias to write a speech for you yeah yeah but that was costly yeah and I'm well obviously Socrates did not Socrates. bow down and try to beg no, for he didn't. forgiveness. No. Which and if anything, he used the opportunity to try to enlighten yeah. the council. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like he's trying to be like, let's put some <clears throat> common sense into this conversation, people. Was I really doing this? Like, was I really doing what I was accused of? Or was I really doing something that would benefit everyone? Yeah. Which, obviously, the latter. But, like, obviously. Yeah, but it's really this arrogance uh, that brought him down. And if you... It doesn't really come out so much in Xenophon. Because I think Xenophon is always trying to protect Socrates. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come out too much in Plato. But Plato still... Even in his apology, Plato does admit that Socrates was kind of arrogant in his presentation. Mm-hmm. Do you think when Socrates realized he was going to trial, do you think that he himself thought that he would be found guilty in the long run? That actually leads <laughs> directly into the next point. Oh, okay. And the fact that when Socrates went before the council, he had already made his decision of what was going to happen. He did? Yeah. And he basically was like... And through his arrogant presentation, basically, he was seeking the indictment. Really? He, he wanted to be convicted. Why? That is a good. That is a good question. And he talks to uh, again a Xenophon source, Hermogenes. If I can find the quote again. And speaking to. Hermogenes about it. Mm-hmm. I forget this before or after. Let's see if I can find the context. Okay, Hermogenes claims that before the trial, Socrates said to him, Do you really think it's remarkable that God should decide that it is better for me to die now? Don't you realize that up to now, I would not have con- conceded to anyone that he had lived a better life than I? Now, if my years are prolonged, I'm sure that I shall have to pay the penalties of old age. Impaired vision and hearing and increased slowness at learning and forgetfulness of what I have learned. So he was willing to die because he didn't want to be a decrepit old man. Yes. Damn. Damn. He was 
thinking, like, it was, like, thought out. Like, I, I don't even know that I could say I would think about that if I knew my life was on the line. Yeah, it's like, it doesn't really come across in, uh, in Plato. It comes across in Plato that Socrates is not afraid of death. Uh-huh. But it doesn't come across that he's actually actively seeking it. Right. <laughs> in Xenophon, it does. I mean, I can't... You, on it, like, when you think of it like that, you can't... It's almost like you can't blame Socrates because, like, they are living in that age where, like, there's literally nothing to do. Like, when, once you reach that age and you start losing your eyesight, you, there's nothing for them to help your quality of life. It just keeps declining. And it's like he knew his quality of life was going to decline. And not, yeah. that, not that it was great already. Like, like I said, he was basically right, right. He was basically a vagabond. Yeah, yeah. And just but the fact that he... But it worse. Yeah, and and just the fact that really the slowness of learning probably really and, bothered and him. For, and forgetting things that he had learned, like spent mm-hmm. so much time and effort collecting mm-hmm. in, in his mind that he was going to forget those things, like he couldn't stomach that. That makes you think, it makes me think about like people who are like, geni- who are like classified as like geniuses and stuff. It makes me wonder like, like later in life, like, if they were having like those cognitive and like those cognitive struggles and or just like those physical struggles like hearing and seeing loss and everything like that like if they truly felt like life just isn't worth living if you don't have that anymore because like could you imagine that like I'm not like a genius by any standard and I have terrible eyesight I couldn't imagine going blind though you know, to take something very precious away from someone after they've had it their entire life. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, think about, like, when Stephen Hawking came down with his disease and he was... He was at his prime, though. He, he, was, at, he was at his prime. He was a young man. Yeah. And, like, on the, on the brink, brink of, doing, of doing all these great things for physics and science. Yeah. And then he was told, like, your body's going to get worse. And then yeah. he was, in the end, confined to a wheelchair for the remainder of his life yeah i mean granted so like, though just, when he was initially confronted with that like how would how would he have felt i don't that's like, like his, his brain still worked just fine in the end that's his, what and in it's the just end his that's physical what kept body going. wouldn't be able to but handle his, it yeah, yeah like i said like his brain would be fine yeah and in the end that got him i'm sure that got him through a lot the fact that he could still that he was still cognitive yeah. and the process of everything and like think and play stuff out yeah but the fact that his body like there's so many things he couldn't do because his body just yeah wouldn't allow him to yeah it makes me think of like people who are oh i don't want to get emotional but it makes me think of people who are diagnosed with like dementia or like alzheimer's and how like if you catch it early enough to where you can have like like they would like either whether it be like with a family member or like a doctor or they catch it early enough to where they can understand that that's what's happening to you. Like, you're just losing your memory. And, like, I, like, I can't even think of how bad that would be. Yeah. It's crazy. And, so, it's... And, like I said, like, he was at, in 399, he was 70 years old. And that was... Pretty damn old for was back pre- then. That's pretty damn old for back then, yeah. Yeah. So, like... How much longer was he realistically going to live? Right. I mean, there's a chance he could have been still pretty cognitive and mm-hmm. still been pretty well off living out to a natural death. But there was also a fair chance and that he wasn't going to be able to. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, and he knew the lifestyle he lives. And yeah. And it wasn't, 
great. <laughs> well, he seemed he seemed very like self aware. Yeah. So like I mean, especially now that you read that quote, like he's very self aware of like his living situation, his situation in his own body and mind. So like you can tell he's coming from a very like sound mind, in my opinion. Like he he like completely understands everything. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't really surprise me that you say like both uh well that um not Xenophon, the other dude. Plato. Plato. That he kept saying that like he was arrogant. He mm-hmm. he he like sounded arrogant. Yeah. So I mean that doesn't shock me then, now that I know that. And it's like part of the reason why that arrogance came across is that so and this is one of the arguments that kind of like lends support to the fact that Socrates was seeking death. Mm-hmm. Was that uh, it gave him license to speak however he however he wanted. Like before he, had, he died? Yeah, he had nothing to lose. So he could oh, talk. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He could talk and present himself however he chose. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter. Right. Do you think that like... Because like how did they... How do they execute people back? Like, are they still just chopping heads off, or like? You remember, you remember Hemlock. We talked about Hemlock last time. With the generals. Yeah, but I don't remember how they died. Basically, they would bring you a cup full of like. Oh right, the poison. Yeah, yeah the poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I even looked that up. I looked yeah, the. Yeah, I looked up the symptoms. The, yeah, I looked up the plant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, okay, well, so, I mean, that's... Honestly, though, like, I could see where... I could, for full real, see where he's coming from now. Because, like, it would be, like, not... I'm <laughs> The symptoms of that poison was terrible. But, like, you could potentially maybe come out not feeling as much pain, I guess, as you would as getting your head chopped off. I don't know. I don't know, like, what... I don't know what would be better. But I don't know. It doesn't sound... Oh no! Now I'm thinking of the terrible. <laughs> now I'm thinking of the. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a scientist during the time of the French Revolution, uh-huh. and for whatever reason, he was convicted and sentenced to death by by guillotine. And he <laughs> he was so dedicated to science that he used his last moments of life to conduct an experiment. And he told his assistant, like, when they cut my head off, I'm going to try to blink as much as I can, <laughs> and count how many times I blink. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Why? Just to what see, would the blinking prove? To see how to long s- you were there? Yeah. To see like how instant, like the whole thing behind the guillotine was that it would be like instant humane. Well, see, that's like, what, that was it. That's what I'm thinking so about. It's like, it's like, like I'm going to try to blink for as long as I'm conscious. Count how many times I blink. I think it was like 15 times or something like that. Well, the, the thing <laughs> is, so is that 15 times as it's coming down, though? No, 15 times that, like, after, after his head has been separated from his body. <laughs> okay, first of all, scientifically, okay, once the spinal cord breaks, you're gone. So, like... I know, but that was... They didn't have that understanding. Time. No, no, like, no like, I know. We know I that know. now, and it was probably just like a reflex. I know. So I want. <laughs> I guess. I guess the guillotine would be more humane. I guess, but I don't know. I mean, I could see Socrates taking that poison like a freaking shot. Like, well, like, look up. Uh, look up Socrates' death, and there's a painting about it. Oh, really? Yeah. There's there's a very famous painting. Oh, I'm gonna look it up. For, I forget who. Uh, I forget who made the painting. So, 
So he was basically looking for death. Yes. And he, he got it. Yeah. But like how like what was the what was the like final verdict? Like was he guilty of all three or like Waste came down it from what I read it wasn't level levied at any particular charge. It was just guilty. So there there wasn't like a it's not like in a court. Specific. It's not like a courtroom today. It's like on the charge of oh, yeah, like X like, on the charge of X, Y, and Z guilty yeah. on the charge of blah 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 guilty on the charge of blah blah, blah not guilty blah, blah on charge of blah, blah blah guilty like that like it was just either you were guilty or you were not guilty. <laughs> okay, so you gotta show me which one is it? This one. Yeah, that one. Is, is Socrates the one that's on the on the bed? Yeah. Give me that poison. It's almost <laughs> the way the way it's painted. It's almost like he's on an altar. Yeah, but he's still got his hand raised up in the air, like he's giving one final lecture. Yeah, before literally. He goes. <laughs> so, is there any record of like of like hint, like the day that he dies? Specifically of that, not that I'm aware of. It was just like so he, he was in jail. His execution day came, and they, he was given the hemlock, and he drank it, and. That was it. Did he have any of his like um, associates with him, or like anything like that? Like, where did where did the person who painted this get the idea for it? You think? I think they just artistic liberties. I, th- I think it's artistic license. <laughs> Honestly, I, I guarantee you, it didn't look like that. Oh no, I, I can't imagine it looking like this. But it just seems. Yeah, so... for those listening at home, for those listening elsewhere, just look up Socrates' death. It's going to be one of the first images to come up. Yeah. In a uh, image. Yeah, one of the first images to come up. It's a very famous painting. I don't know yeah, what, just so I'll remember know, the title but, of the painting. Um, hold on, I can I can tell you the title. Um, I think it's this one. Me, yeah, it's this one. It's called uh, "The Death of Socrates, 1787." It is by um, Jacques Louise David. I think that's how you say his name. Jacques Louis David. Sorry, Jacques. Yeah. Bad at French, y'all. Now speaking of French Revolution, that's almost that time. Yeah. <laughs> Two years later. <laughs> um. That's. Yeah, as far as associates were concerned, they didn't like the charges at all. They didn't like the fact that he was convicted at all. And actually, in another of the Socratic dialogues that Plato wrote, uh, Credo. Mm-hmm. Credo is one of Socrates' associates who comes to prison and tries to talk Socrates into running away. <laughs> oh, I don't know if this is if there's any historical context to what I'm just gonna say the the painter's name David because that's how they reference him in this um in this article on uh, the MetMuseum.org. Uh, but David had the this guy who's at the foot of. Socrates' bed. That's actually Plato. That's, uh, that's his depiction of Plato. That's supposed to be Plato. Yeah, that's what it says in the. In Plato the was not that old. I know, right? When Socrates, Plato was not that old when Socrates was dying. So like, Plato was a young man at the time. Yeah, and also like it. It doesn't. I don't think. I feel like Plato would have mentioned if he was there or not. Uh, but it looks like it's just saying that he was trying to. Um, well, one of uh, Plato's. Uh, dialogues is uh, called Phaedo, and that is about like Socrates' last day. Oh, but okay. I don't think Plato was actually there. I'm pretty sure most of it's made up. <laughs> actually, it, it 
it mentions that it mentions that in here that i guess that's why he added play-doh at the at the foot of his bed yeah for those of you that aren't looking at the painting or aren't seeing the painting like it depicts play-doh at the foot of basically the altar that socrates is sitting on yeah as a very old decrepit bald long bearded man and Plato he's wearing a hat he's not bald oh he's wearing a hat yeah he's wearing a hat you can see it if you zoom in it looks like a white colored hat or maybe that's no, a headband he's, no he's balding is that a headband then? no what no it? it might be a headband but no he's oh it is a headband he's I'm definitely so balding <laughs> yeah yeah he's bald my bad sorry but yeah Plato was like Plato was a very was very young at this time yeah so it looks like he just took some artistic license. He's, it says that David took up a classical story of resisting unjust authority and a sparse frenzy-like composition. So I think he just took he took the story of him um, in the Athenian courts, and then he also referenced Phaedo, and mm-hmm. he came up with this painting. Yeah, and considering the time that he was painting it in, like two years before the French Revolution... It, it that make that makes sense. Yeah. And Socrates has been the rallying cry for injustice. Mm-hmm. Well, not uh, not for injustice against injustice. But. It's actually a really pretty painting. If you're listening, you definitely should go check it out once yeah. you're uh, done listening. But okay. I mean, crazy. So what after his death? Like it, anything significant happen? Like were his like associates in an uproar or like did anything really change well basically they all just went around and tried to protect his memory Mm -hmm. and especially plato and xenophon Mm -hmm. uh plato's several dialogues that he wrote with socrates uh, with socrates as a central character Mm -hmm. or at the very least his ideas yeah or honestly the factualness of either the platonic or 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 xenophon's uh, Socratic characters, I mm-hmm. call them, is, is questionable at best, mostly. Honestly, you got to ask yourself a question of like, is this really what Socrates would have said, or is this just Plato or Xenophon using Socrates, using the character of Socrates as a mouthpiece for their own ideas? You got to ask yourself that question going through it. And I think Plato definitely does use Socrates as a mouthpiece for his ideas. Mm-hmm. I think Xenophon does as well, but to a lesser extent, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion based on what I've read. Right. Do you think... So, So Xenophon and um, Plato, they are like two of the biggest peoples who have written about well, I mean, Socrates. There were, like, I'm sure there were other accounts of Socrates in his life. Those were the two from that time that mm-hmm. that were his contemporaries that survived. What about the guy? I don't know how to say his name. What about the guy who Xenophon was getting a lot of his information about uh, the trial? Hermogenes. Yeah. What about him? Did he not write anything ever? I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he did, but that's since been lost. Wow, that's sad. Yeah, we've lost for every scrap. That we have from a thousand, two thousand, three, four, five, six thousand years ago. Like we've probably lost anywhere from like a hundred to a thousand other pieces of history. That's sad. Yeah, but that's just considered like the materials they were riding on, yeah. the several disasters that happened between now and then, mm-hmm. wars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It, it, there's. Yeah. You know what's really sad? The fact that we have anything at all is 
pretty damn good. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know what's really sad is um, if um, some crazy thing happens and all of technology goes under, uh, we're going to lose like everything. If you really we're not going to lose it, everything, but we're going to lose a lot. Well, because think about it. Like, I, it's sad, but books have kind of become obsolete. Like, if you really think about it, students are still handed textbooks, but do students use textbooks? Not really. Right. Most of them don't. Exactly. So, like... <laughs> but even then, in, in their defense, the textbooks that are printed nowadays are not good. Right. <laughs> so, like, but so again, so right, so they're kind of obsolete. A lot of people don't even like getting physical books anymore. They'll just download a book on a Nook or have like Audible or whatever, right? So, it's if you think about it, a lot of our information now is kind of internet based. Stuff that people are trying to preserve for later down the road that's been scanned into computers, made available on the internet. Think about it. If, like, all of that, if the internet just ceases to exist one day, we're going to lose a lot of information. And I don't think anyone's thinking about that. Well, why, I mean, the why likelihood can't... of that happening is extremely low. I and, still think and it's And even then, on like several about. devices and like servers and things like that, like all they need is a power source. And So what happens and, if and, you and lose we, all your power we, sources, though? But that's not really ever going to happen. We're always going to have a way to make electricity of some sort. Whether You don't know that. I, there's plenty of natural ways to make electricity. I know there is, but like I, I'm just saying, like hypothetically. I know I, I hear what you're saying. But, you know, but yeah. I'm just saying, like I, I feel there are like, things that are definitely going to be lost and they'll never be seen again. Yeah, and I think that's that's just so unfortunate. But I think also the fact that back then, like sources like weren't very common. Yeah. Today they're extremely common. Like everyone and their mother literally has like some kind of journal, whether literal or online or whatever yeah, at your fingertips and so like so like even if even if 99 percent of those were lost mm -hmm. there's still a huge like there's still going to be a huge yeah amount that remain <laughs> no you're right you're right i'm just like throwing a big like no i know but i'm just saying yeah you know it's this is so random uh, but I'm going to keep talking about it anyway. Um, I was thinking about this when you were talking about that. It's so random how, like, um, you know how they have, like, those big, supposedly, like, secret safe rooms full of, like, seeds for when, like, the earth gets dried up and we can no longer plant stuff anymore because we're ruining the earth? Uh-huh. You know how they have, like, those big storage rooms full of, like, vegetable seed, like, any kind of seed there is? Yeah, why isn't the, there why isn't there like an underground cave where books just reside i'm sure there are to some degree i mean there's archives all over the place where like f actual physical books but you like mean the, like the vatican no i mean like, well yeah i'm sure the vatican does uh the national archives in dc library of congress uh archives in smaller libraries state or otherwise around the country and around the world i'm talking like big ass cave just full of books like just one central cave like, yeah full, full of all that i i doubt it wouldn't that be I, cool though i don't think that's possible but. i think that would be cool <laughs> i'm sure it'd be cool but i don't think it's possible it's a lot more decentralized than that i guess i don't know i yeah. just think it would be cool and it's like i mean 
well, at least Plato and Xenophon's records survived to today, and yeah. I'm sure there were others as well. I know Plutarch wrote a lot about Socrates, and Plutarch was a Roman historian slash writer. Did he know Socrates, or no? This was like a thousand years later. Oh, or so what did more. he write about him? Do you know? Uh, I haven't read Plutarch, so I can't really speak to it. But mm-hmm. it's basically he, he's. I don't know what sources he used. I'm sure he used Plato and Xenophon, but I don't know if he used any other records that I want to say he did. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I haven't, I haven't read Plutarch. Yeah. So I can't really speak to it. Yeah. But he probably used other sources that survived to his day. Yeah. About Socrates, and he wrote, he wrote a, some stuff about that. So, I mean, they succeeded in passing on his... Well, obviously, we're talking about him today. Yeah. Well, they succeeded in passing down his, like, ideals, I guess. Yeah. And then even, like, not too long after Socrates, uh, some another philosopher who kind of tried to emulate Socrates, kind of, sort of, mm-hmm. was a man by the name of Diogenes, or Diogenes. Mm-hmm. And what he was known for, he kind of lived a life similar to Socrates, uh, basically in poverty, no money, no nothing. But at least he technically had a house. You know what his house was? What? A water jug. Oh my goodness! It was like a, it was like a, it was a vase with like the side of it was busted out, and that's where he lived, <laughs> just on the streets of Athens. Wow. <laughs> and then it was said at night he'd walk or he he'd walk the streets with a lantern, and like anyone he ran into, he would just like go up to him, like, put the lantern in their face and, like, look at him real hard. Mm-hmm. Like, just imagine some old creepy motherfucker just come out of the shadows <laughs> with a lantern, just, like, shoving it in your face and just, like, staring at you uh-huh. for, for a good minute. Mm-hmm. And then you just walk off. That's Not creepy. saying a fucking word. And when people, what? And What's when, his purpose? When people asked him why he was doing it, he said he was looking for, he was looking for a true human being. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. What do you think his definition of a true human being was? I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't read uh, read that much into him, but that was I don't. It's just a funny story, like the fact that he lived in a he lived in a water jug. Yeah. And uh, a really great story from him is that uh, in his day, by the time he, once he became old, older, he was well known. Like he was well known name, and when Alexander came to power as like the hegemon of all mm-hmm. of greece mm-hmm. he sought him out he wanted to talk to him because alexander had been uh in his in alexander's youth he had been taught by aristotle mm-hmm. who was a student of plato who was a student of socrates mm-hmm. so he sought out diogenes to just wanted to talk to him mm-hmm. and then he found him on a hillside outside the city and they walked up to him and introduced himself. He's like, oh, I'm Alexander the Great, uh, Lord of all the Greeks. <laughs> if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And then Diogenes was like, just laying there on his back, just enjoying the sun. <laughs> and probably didn't even open his eyes, I don't think. And he's like, you can get out of my sun. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine some old man telling Alexander, who is going to be Alexander yeah. the Great. <laughs> Get out of my son. Get off my lawn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did not care. That is so funny. 
It's like, oh, you conquered all of Greece and are looking to conquer all of Persia. Yeah, you have fun with that. I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but Diogenes like, took at least part of his inspiration, well, really a lot of his inspiration from what he had been told of Socrates, mm-hmm. from Plato, Xenophon, Aristotle, and uh, any of his other associates who survived to his day. But cool. yeah, that is... That is the life and death of Socrates. Crazy. Yeah. I'm like, it's weird. I'm not even upset with how he went out. Because it was like on his terms almost, if you think about it. More or less, yeah. Like, he... Like, if, you, if you believe that he actually was seeking death. Like, there's yeah. other scholars who... Like, I personally think, like, yeah, he, 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 he sought death. He wanted to die. Do you think... <laughs> do you think had... These people who, like, wanted to put him on trial and stuff didn't do that. Do you think that he would have willingly just died of old age? Or do you think that he would have tried to end his life? Like, do you think he was suicidal by any means? No. I don't think so. Not at all. I think that would have gone against his, his core principles. I think he just saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he took it. Otherwise, I think he would have lived out the rest of his days to a natural death. Mm-hmm. Me personally. You don't think he would have, like, jumped off a cliff and be like, this is the will of the gods. No, he wasn't crazy like that. <laughs> he wasn't, he he definitely wasn't a religious zealot. He wasn't a heretic by any means, but he wasn't, yeah. like, a religious zealot. Yeah. And it's like, the gods back then didn't, um, for the most part, didn't really give two shits mm-hmm. whether someone committed suicide or not. Yeah. That was that was mortal business. Yeah. And if, like, you wanted to end your life prematurely, then... They would probably just laugh at you yeah. and call you an idiot and be like, okay, go down to Hades. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like Socrates has made it onto my like top 10 of who I would, who I would like to have dinner with, dead or alive. Because he sounds like a pretty interesting person. I don't know. He might be frustrated by the end of the night. Why? Because, I don't know. Just a lot of people who had conversations with him got frustrated because he would just argue him to either a standstill or you just either argue him down or argue him to a standstill. And they, I just, feel like, they just got frustrated with it. It's like, shit, I can't win. But like, ironically, I feel like you could have a genuine conversation with him and come out a better person. If you, took what he, if you took what he had to say to heart, I think you would, yeah. I feel like I would. I feel like I really would. I feel like I would come out of the conversation just like having more knowledge than I did before. Perhaps more wisdom because of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He sounds like an interesting guy. And yeah. I'm glad that our podcast is named after him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just hopefully in the spirit of him. Oh, a really easy read, though. It's really easy to kind of... Well, it's not really get introduced to Socrates, I would say. But uh, there was a play that was written kind of about Socrates, but not really about Socrates. I feel like you've told me about this. Yeah, and the play was the play was called The Clouds. Yeah, it yeah. It was written by Aristophanes. Didn't Plato write about that? Plato didn't like The Clouds. Like, he thought it was a slander against Socrates. One of the books you handed me was talking about the clouds. Or do you own a book that's the clouds? Yeah, I got a... Because I looked at something and... Yeah, this one! Yeah, I got a small collection yeah, of... Yeah, uh, this one. Of plays written by Aristophanes. Yeah, for those of you listening, it's called Aristophanes' Lestrada and Other Plays. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it has... It has like a, I don't, would you call it a chapter? 
No, it's it's a, it's a, it's a play. So it has like the whole play in here. The clouds. Right yeah, it's there. got the whole play in there. Okay, so it has and the whole and play the main character is well, it's not the main character, but a character in the play is named Socrates. And there are some scholars who say it's like this play contributed to the negative image that Socrates had in the polis. Mm-hmm. Based on what I've read, not really, is that Aristophanes and Socrates were actually friends. Mm-hmm. And he picked Socrates, the name at least, as one of his characters who's kind of like a satirical character. Mm-hmm. Because he knew Socrates wouldn't take it to heart. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And even then, there's a, there's a story from the memorabilia where Socrates... Where the play comes up, and it's, and like somebody asks Socrates, like, how do you feel about being slandered in the theater? Socrates <laughs> like, I'm not being slandered. Oh, it's just it's just, it, it's just it's just good fun. And it's like if I'm in the theater and a part about me comes up and people are laughing about it, then I feel like I'm in a party amongst amongst friends. Wow, that's what he said. Yeah, I'm in. A, I'm just at a party amongst friends, just having just having fun at my expense for a moment. He had such a good outlook on like not just even life just like on like every like was there anything that really pissed him off i'm sure he was human but i don't know he had had pretty high tolerance i mean like going back to his days as a hot boy he could tolerate the heat and the cold like nobody else could oh yeah you said that yeah Yeah. it would be he um, wasn't he wasn't a complainer yeah Wow, if the world had less complainers in it, it'd be interesting world. Mm. Wow, that's actually really cool. What is um? I don't think I asked you this in the last podcast. Really quick before we like, I guess wrap up, or if we're not going to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, we're going over two hours now. Um, what is uh? What does Socrates' name mean? Do you know? I don't know. I don't I'm gonna look it, it up really quick. I don't know if it has a meaning or not. Maybe it does. I, never, I feel like I feel like a lot of names back then meant stuff. You know? I'm yeah, looking, it makes sense. It might. Just, um, I never thought to look that up. I don't know why. Okay, so... What you got? Um, I guess it doesn't... I guess his name doesn't have a meaning. Hold on. Okay. I think, I think this is it. Let me open it. Um, yeah, I think this is it. I, don't come after me, but according to this website, um, there's, like, a Greek, like, term for it. I'm not, it's just, like, Socrates, but, like, with a K instead of a C. Um, and it's meaning whole, unwounded, and safe. And then another part of it, uh, kratos, meaning power. Let yeah, that's all it says. I don't know if that's like legit though. It's like the only Socrates one that pops up. derived from sauce meaning whole and Kratos meaning power is the name of the important Greek philosopher. So whole power since the death for impiety. He definitely had power in his <laughs> so, words. So whole power. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh? Nothing. Um, okay, yeah. Interesting. Cool. Alright, well I think that kind of wraps wraps it up. Yeah, that is uh, going to be the introductory series to the podcast. Trying yeah. to establish why it's Socrates on the mountain and not Aristotle or Plato or mm-hmm. Xenophon or Plutarch or whatever 
philosopher on the mountain. Yep. I hope we do him justice. I hope we kind of better humanity a little bit. At the very least, ourselves. Yeah. See how that goes. Yeah. But yeah, so that was, I guess, technically episode four, well, I guess technically episode three, because episode zero, one, two. Yeah, and then three. But part two of our Socrates talk. Oh, yeah, because I did the episode last week on, uh, was it last week? Yeah, you did an um, oh, yeah, an it, episode, um, like, what, the day or two after? No, it was the night of, yeah. Well, yeah. technically, it'd be the morning of the second day in Ukraine time, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah I did that one. Uh, I was not 100% correct on uh, that one, but I was just trying to get it down and get something out there. If you haven't yeah. listened to it, he's talking about our sec- the second episode, which was talking about Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, and I'm probably going to do another one on that in the future, possibly the near future. I don't know. We'll see how things go. But anyway, that's not the topic of this one, so this yeah. one's topic is uh, concluded. <laughs> yeah, so if you listened to part one, we hope that you enjoyed part two of Socrates. I enjoyed it a lot. I learned a lot. I have mad respect for Socrates now. I really, really hope that we kind of do him justice on this podcast. If not for anyone else, but ourselves. And uh, I hope we just keep learning from each other. and Yeah, just be open to questions and ask questions of your own. And yeah. try to have the best understanding that you can have and uh, use that to move forward. And if you can, move uh, others forward as well. Yep. And uh, do we have a closing quote this week? No, I actually don't. Just uh, kind of like... Xenophon said, like, Socrates didn't lecture, he just was, and he was an example to those around him. So everyone who's listening, just be you. Be an example. Question everything. Socrates was obsessed with trying to live a good life and teaching others how to do so. So just try to live a good life. Don't do harm to others. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this has been uh, Socrates on the Mountain with... Dylan and Christopher, we hope you guys enjoyed. (laughs) Bye. All right. To all the ghosts out there uh, next time, bye.